We're in our third week of four on this topic of friending. And I just want you to know, as we've been talking about friendships, that, uh, that this is an area that, uh, that I, I need to grow in. As I, as, I, as I look at God's word and I see what a biblical friend looks like, uh, I'm challenged. And uh, remember last week I showed that video, that uh, really fascinating invention that Coca-Cola uh, is is uh, is prompting. I just want you to know that even in our family, we we need that that dog collar thing, whatever it is, that guard. So here here's the pictures to illustrate that. This is uh, this is Trina and I at our son's wedding rehearsal, uh, and um, I'm sure I was probably checking duck scores, and she was doing something much more spiritual. Uh, but uh, last week during the 11 o'clock service, actually someone in our church had this picture, sent it to the tech booth, and thankfully it didn't get there in time for it to go on the screen while I was preaching. So I'm a person in process on this whole topic as well. Uh, so uh, I'm learning a lot as well. And as we're talking friends, uh, we're, we're just talking about this, these biblical descriptions. Uh, we're looking primarily from the book of Proverbs. We'll, we'll look outside of Proverbs now and then on, on these relationships um, but really what we're talking about is how, you know, how do we point ourselves at our relationships? Now, j- just a little picture to put in your mind. A friend of mine, uh, Greg and I, and Trina as well, we went fishing in the month of August, went down to Buoy 10 on the Columbia River, which is, if you don't know that, it's, it's kind of close to the ocean. Uh, it's great fishing, but it's, it's, it can be quite dangerous with the tides and the currents and, uh, and the Columbia Bar there, especially if you go out into the ocean. And we were going out to the ocean uh, to fish on, on an early morning and on that morning when we woke up, it, not only do you have all that water and tides and current and boats and, and ships coming through, uh, it was socked in with fog. But we're going to go out and we're going to go fish in the ocean. And as we're going out, we're following a boat in front of us. And we also have, uh, on our navigation equipment, we have these waypoints. They're pre-programmed. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit scary. It's almost like a video game. You just point your boat in this direction. And as you get to this waypoint, then it's going to tell you when the next waypoint is and point you that way. And you're doing all this kind of an eerie fashion because you're, you're just socked in with fog. Um, but we, we, got, we followed the waypoints and got to where we wanted to get out there and do some fishing, caught fish, and then came back in following the same way because it's all socked in with fog. The reason I want, I want you to put, put that picture in your mind is just to, just to say this, that, that in, in our current society, when it comes to relationships, there's a lot of fuzziness. Uh, it's, it's like the fog has rolled in and there's a lack of clarity and what, what's an appropriate relationship, what's an inappropriate relationship. How do I relate to this person? How am I not supposed to relate to this person? And, and if you think broader than friendships, what I want us to understand is this, the scriptures are so practical uh, and speak so directly to, to, to relationships. So, I mean, if you're single, there, there are waypoints for you in scripture. If you're married, there's waypoints for you in scripture. If you're an employer, there's waypoints for you in Scripture. If you're an employee, there's, there's instruction for you in the, in the Scriptures. There's just all kinds of, of wisdom that's offered to us to help us in our, in our relationships. So as we talk about friendships, what we are doing, just like we do with any other topic that we talk about here at Sam Alliance, we come under the Word of God, we submit to the authority of God's Word, and we let it speak into our lives, and we point our lives in, in the way of the Word, in the way of Christ. So I just want you to know, maybe it's your first weekend here, and you're trying to you know, figure out this place. Um, you just need to know that we, we value uh, the Word, and specifically the voice that 
allows us to have the word. Uh, sometimes we, you know, we, we see this and we see ink on pages and we forget that there's a person behind the page. Um, and so relationships, and we speak about relationships, we're looking for God's wisdom and how to be, specifically in this, this series, a great friend. So we, in week one, we talked about discovery of a great friend, what that looks like. And then last week, we, we, we talked about the first two waypoints of, of what a biblical friendship looks like. And I'll just remind us of that. Uh, first one was emotional health. Uh, kind of stealing a thought from Peter Scazzaro and his book called The Emotionally Healthy Church. His thesis in that book is, you cannot become spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Um, and, and, and so just taking that thought and applying it to friendship and saying, you cannot be a great friend and remain emotionally immature. And we looked at some scriptures from the book of Proverbs to talk about what that looks like to be emotionally disconnected. And then we talked about candor, about speaking the truth in love, and that a, the, an, an open rebuke is, is, is better than hidden love when it comes to friendships. Remember, that faithful are the wounds of a friend than many kisses from an enemy. And we talked about the fact that we, we, we oftentimes go the way of Judas who betrayed Christ with a kiss. We go the way of Judas because we say, I can't say that to my friend because it will hurt them and I just love them too much to hurt them. The truth is, you don't love them too much, you love yourself too much to be able to speak the truth and love to them. And we all feel the tension of that. But true friends speak the truth in love. So I want to dive in and give you a third waypoint here this morning. And again, we're going to go to the book of Proverbs. We're going to, put, we're going to walk through several verses and explain what we're, we're talking about here in this third one. So Proverbs 16, verse 28. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. We define the word strife. Strife, uh, it can look like bickering or quarreling. It can be a controversy. Sometimes it's just drama. There's this person that everywhere they go, it's just drama surrounds them. A person who uh, promotes controversies, that it's always quarreling, it just seems to always introduces bickering. Uh, they're dishonest and they spread this and a whisperer separates close friends, which is pretty interesting because you think that two people are pretty tight and they're really good friends and all it takes is a whisper to separate them. Unity is fragile. It's, it's picture like a, a, a thin glass crystal ball, and it takes so little for, for unity to, to be broken, uh, certainly in a, in a church and definitely in a friendship. And all it takes is just a whisper, and close friends are separated. Next verse from Proverbs as we build this waypoint. Proverbs 25, verses 9 through 10. Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another. Otherwise, people may accuse you of gossip and you will never regain your good reputation. Uh, you're in conflict with a neighbor. Maybe it is a next door neighbor. Or you're in conflict with someone in the workplace, a friend, uh, maybe someone in your family. There's a disagreement and you're working it out. You're talking it out. And maybe it's, it's pretty low level uh, conversation or maybe it's pretty passionate and there's an interesting thing about human nature when you are in conflict with another person. We, we like to build constituencies. We like to, to add members to our team. We want allies when we're in conflict. So what we end up doing is we begin sharing with people, sometimes just flat out, here's what's going on, here's what this person's think, thinking, here's what I think, what do you think? 
Or maybe we, we use just vague terms and we, we try and say, here's where I'm, I'm at. And, you know, and in a way we're saying, can, can you agree with me? But what happens is when we do this and we disclose this, the confidences of a, of a debate we're having or a conflict we're having and other people get in the know of it, it, it becomes, becomes gossip. And, and people, when they accuse you of gossip, you'll never regain your good reputation. When the word is on the street that, that, you know, that, that you've been sharing confidences or you, you, you've been betraying your neighbor... People, they won't lean into you. Actually, they lean away because they, they're going to be very guarded around you. Another verse from Proverbs. Proverbs 25, verse 18. Telling lives about others is as harmful as hitting, hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. Just love how graphic the book of Proverbs is. What, 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 what Solomon is getting at here is that we do violence to each other when we speak lies, when we exaggerate, we're, we're doing violence to each other. One more verse as we build this, this first waypoint. Proverbs 25, 19. Putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. And here's what's, here's what's going on. What we're talking about is trustworthiness. We're talking about being a trustworthy friend. Now, trustworthiness can look like following through on something that you said you would do. Certainly, that's being trustworthy. Being dependable, showing up when you said you were gonna, you, you were gonna do something. That, that's dependability and being trustworthy. What I, what I mean by trustworthy in this context, what I'm saying is, you can trust me with your reputation. We're friends. And you can trust me with your reputation. You're sharing things, perhaps things that you're struggling with in your own character. Or we might even get in a disagreement, but, but I'm not going public with this. And this is specifically very difficult to do in our culture today because we live in, uh, in a tabloid culture where everyone's faults are the front pages of magazines. And it's this very strong current that we get sucked into it. What ends up happening is we think that, that everyone's faults, except ours, should go public. But when we're in friendship, when we're in biblical friendship, we're being trusted with each other's reputation. And so, yes, we need to be candid. We need to speak the truth and love to one another. But what we do is we don't go public with this and, and let everyone else in on it. Otherwise, it becomes slandering gossip. And we wound, we do violence to one another. And so what we need to do is help each other in this because this, this just happens so easy. I mean, the classic form is the prayer request, right? You're, you're in a small group and someone says, hey, we need to pray for Pastor Steve. He's really struggling. You know, you've heard the, the phrase loose lips sink ships where he's sinking whole fleets with his mouth, okay? He's just really struggling. He can't keep a confidence. Let's just, I just want to share it with you because we need people to pray. Don't, don't tell anybody because um, we don't, we don't want to gossip. Okay, you, you've all been in maybe something not that overt, um, but maybe vague pictures are painted and you know exactly who the person is talking about. And man, what do you do? How do you protect people's reputations? I'm just gonna give you a simple tool. Just take your right hand and, and put it out like this. Okay, or if you're left-handed, do the left hand. Okay, this works either way. This is the universal uh, sign for stop, all right? 
And what you can do is you're in a conversation and there's some whispers that can separate close friends. Just raise your hand. Maybe you don't want to put all that. You just raise your hand and go, whoa, time out. Hey, I don't think I should be hearing this. Why don't you go back and talk to that person and work it out? Serve each other. Help each other in this area of relationship. Just a little, hey, time out. This, this, this sounds like you know, something that I shouldn't be hearing. This is something you, you, you need to go have a conversation with, with that person. Or an, another way you can, another way we can be equipped to make sure we, didn't, we don't do violence to each other with gossip or lies or exaggerations is an uh, example from our own family. Trina and I, as we raised our kids, there, uh, a verse that kind of came a life verse for us in, in, uh, in, with our kids and raising them. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. It says, encourage one another, build each other up just as you are doing. And what we taught our kids is, you know, everyone needs courage. We need strength to, to do the things God's called us to. Or just to go through your day. You need courage. To encourage is to make a deposit of, 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 of strength or courage into someone. If you want someone to feel weak, what you do is you discourage them. You extract courage from them. So encourage one another. When you encourage someone, you're doing a work of construction in their spirit. You're speaking or you're writing something and you're building them up. And when our kids in our home would say something that was, you know, was on that, it makes you want to go, whoa, or maybe it was just, we would, it was just sort of hurtful. We would ask the question, are you building that person up or are you tearing them down? And our kids always you know, would stop and pause. Like, this was a really difficult question. And they had to think about it. And they knew, but they, there's just something about, yeah, I'm doing a work of deconstruction. I'm, I'm tearing them down, not building them up. And it's just a clarify. It was a winnowing question. It was a clarifying question. And I just want you to know that that question cuts both ways. There's a person, I don't want to mention their name. They usually sit in the front row, and I'm married to them. But there's just... <laughs> See how easy it is to do? And one of our daughters, I think she was eight years old, as, as Trina, whoops, said her name, as Trina was in our house, and she was just going on this rant. She had a rough day, and it was with the person, and she was just going off, and we were in the kitchen talking, and our eight-year-old daughter said to Trina, Mom, are you building that person up, or are you tearing them down? Long pause, because it's a difficult question. But what happens is when we equip each other to understand that we can do a work of deconstruction or a work of construction in each other, uh, it, it just, we just hold each other accountable, and that's a good thing. Because unity is fragile. And a whisper can separate close friends. And, and, and we don't want to do violence to each other. We, don't, we, we want to be trusted with each other's reputations. And so, yeah, there, there are times we have to have a candid conversation and speak the truth in love, but we always protect the heart of our friend. So that's the third waypoint. First waypoint is emotional health. And again, you can see how emotional health would help you in that. Emotional health, candor, speaking the truth in love, and then trustworthiness. Here's, here's the next one, fourth one. We'll go to Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. This doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're present all the time, what it means is that when the chips are down, you can count on me. Uh, it could be something great happens. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a moment of rejoicing, and man, I'm there to rejoice with you. I, it's a, we underestimate this. It's a powerful thing to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. 
And if tragedy strikes or you're in a season of loss, a friend who loves all times is, you can count on me. I will be there. A brother is born for adversity. You're not going to be alone. You're not going to be isolated. I'm going to walk with you through this. Now, just a point of clarification. A friend loves at all times does not mean that I have to spend every moment with my friends. Um, uh, let me just illustrate this. Proverbs 25, 16. Do you like honey? Don't eat too much or it will make you sick. All right, now what's Solomon getting at here? Well, let's add the second half of this verse. Do you like honey? Don't eat too much or it will make you sick. Don't visit your neighbors too often or you will wear out your welcome. All right? There is a difference from being, in being there when the chips are down and stalking someone. All right? It, it, you, don't have to, you don't have to spend every waking moment with your friend. Because what happens is, is people get tired of you. They see you and they walk the other way. And so it's, it's understanding that there's trust in the relationship. But what I'm getting at here in this fourth waypoint is just presence. I am a fully present person. When the chips are down, you can count on me. When it's a celebration, I'm there with you. I don't need to spend every waking moment with you. I mean, I, we don't have to have coffee every day. But, but I'm, when we're together, I'm going to be fully present with you. And, 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 and here's a unique struggle in our current day. We, we have this longing. We have this, we're productive people. Productivity is a value for Americans. One, it gets things done. But what happens is it, it, there's tension between being productive and being fully present in our relationships. We, we do this thing called multitasking. We, we tell ourselves that we can do two or three or four things, maybe more things at time. I can listen to a sermon and play Clash of the Clans on my iPad, and I can, I just, I can do it. I can have dinner with you and I, I can be checking Instagram. It's, it's okay. We can be in the car talking and I can check my email and I'll listen to you. I'm, well, here's the reality. No, you, you're not being fully present. Multitasking is avoidance. Now, it's really hard when you're talking about this and your wife is sitting in the front row and she's saying amen in the other services. Thankfully, she's in other rooms right now doing something. But I'm just saying, this is, something I, this is a struggle for me. Let me just put a quote by a guy named Dan Bruner. Uh, Dan's a teacher. He's a prophet at George Fox. I was in a, a, uh, another setting with him, and he said this. He said, multitasking is avoiding the presence. The present. When you want to go away and multitask, ask yourself, why am I going away? What is being said? What is going on internally that I need to go away? Almost all multitasking is avoidance. See it. Notice it. This is what Brunner is saying. When you find, when you see yourself, just when you're, you're in a relationship, you're having a conversation, and you go somewhere else, ask yourself why. Or if you're in a, in a community group, and, uh, and you check your email, ask yourself why you're doing that. Just notice it. Because what it's doing, it's pulling you away from being fully present in the context of those relationships. Let me just give an example of, of some of the drastic measures you have to take so that you can be fully present. Uh, the team I get to lead here at St. Alliance, we call it PMT, Pastoral Management Team. We meet every week. And this past week, 
uh, we, had, we had a two-hour meeting on Thursday, and as, as, as my team came in, I asked them to take their phones and to uh, put it face down in the, in the table that we were meeting around. And so each one of us, and I, I say us, because I'm including me, reluctantly did this, and like some of them clicked it and said, I don't have any messages I need to look at before I put it down, <laughs> and we put it down. And by the way, it's not just young people who have a hard time. I don't want to give away any names, but we have some folks who are a little bit older in our PMT who also are very attached to their phones. And, uh, and we all put them down. Now we're having a meeting, by the way, we had a very productive meeting. And, but during the meeting, there was this buzzing sounds that came from the center of the table. There were seven phones there, and uh, they were all face down, and they all looked kind of the same, and, um, and they were buzzing. And, and when, when they buzzed, something internally inside of me, something inside of me started asking questions like, I wonder if that was my phone. I wonder if there's something on there that I should see. Could be an emergency. Someone would you know, need to get a hold of me and let me know that. And part, you know, I, you know, my, my assistant can, can get me if it's an emergency. But there's all these things like, I've, how can I live without that? How can I not know? And then at the end of the meeting, I said, okay, guys, we can grab our phones. We all did. We grabbed our phones like, okay, what happened? Uh, and it's just this, this pull to not be fully present. I missed some really important, you know, sports streaming stuff about which ducks were going to be playing on the weekend. And uh, I, I didn't miss anything. But what happens is in our relationships, in our friendships, something as silly as a phone, something as practical as doing the dishes, something uh, as, as simple as going to Facebook and liking a picture in a class, I mean, notice it. See it and ask yourself the question, why? Why do I need to go away? So that fourth waypoint is, is simply being a fully present person. Fifth one I want to hit real quickly, uh, Proverbs 25, 11, Timely advice is lovely like golden apples in a silver basket. By the way, on that, the one about being fully present, here's something that will help you with that. Just when you're, maybe it's at home, maybe it's with your friends, you know, missing an action, MIA, just start using that as language. Say, oh, look who's MIA. Uh, and just, just, sometimes just something as silly as that helps us notice if we're being fully present. Wisdom, timely advice is lovely like golden apples in a silver basket. This fifth waypoint is just simply wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge. Wisdom is sound judgment. Wisdom is, is discernment. And when someone gives you timely advice, when someone speaks wisdom into your life, it's like, it's like gold and silver. It's just a rich, valuable gift. And, and as we're talking about uh, friendship, that's why I've been going from the book of Proverbs, because there's so much practical wisdom. The book of Proverbs, it, it, it's painting a picture of what the wise look like, and it's painting a picture of what it looks like to live a foolish life. In fact, if you got your Bibles, go to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 8. In fact, chapter 9 as well is also a, a chapter on wisdom. But in chapter 8, this is like putting the concept of wisdom or the idea of wisdom in, in, into a person. It's personifying wisdom. I want to read just a few verses, beginning in verse 1. 
It says, listen as wisdom calls out. Hear as understanding raises her voice. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. What happens at crossroads? Decisions are made at crossroads. So you need wisdom when you're making decisions. By the gates at the entrance to the town, on the road leading in, she cries aloud. What, what happens when you're going through a gate into a town? You're entering into a place of protection. You know, I call to you, to all, I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, show some understanding. Verse 12. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. It, this is just wisdom personified. And by the way, this is why we do ministries like financial peace. Finan financial peace university is just a practical way to get wisdom in how to use your finances. This is why we do ministries like peacemakers. We're offering wisdom in how to handle conflict. We all deal with conflict in our lives. What's some wisdom principles? Because if we get timely advice, it's like, it's like golden apples in a silver basket. It's valuable. A lot of ministries around this place are, are, are meant to give you understanding and grow you in wisdom. And in a friendship, wisdom is a powerful, powerful thing to have in a friend. I don't want to spend a ton of time on that because I want to just get back to, to these three I've been talking about today. Trustworthiness, being fully present, and wisdom. And like we did last week, quick true or false test. You, you got 50-50 shot on this. Here's some questions that you can ask yourself in regards to those three things we're talking about today. I am trustworthy. You can trust me with your reputation. I, I'm not gonna whisper. I'm not gonna betray confidences. I'm, I'm a trustworthy person. Second one, true or false, my friends would describe me as a fully present person. Would your family describe you as a fully present person? Would your friends do that? The people you spend time with, your, and your family, true or false. At times, people tell me I am wise. These are great, three great questions to ask yourself as you not only long for friends, but you learn to grow to be the friend that you would love to have yourself. Now, I'm gonna put all five of these up on the screen. These are the ones, we, the two we talked last week and, and the three we hit on uh, this week. Emotionally healthy, speaks the truth in love, trustworthy, fully present, and wise. Now, two things happen to me when I look at that list. First thing is, there's a sense of longing in my heart to have a friend exhibited by those five things. Yet at the same time, that list, as I think about my own life and the friend that God's called me to be, I look at that list and it can be crushing. It can feel so heavy. I can look at that list and I can see all the ways I don't measure up. And it's here where we need to remember that we have a Christ who calls us friend, who empowers us by his spirit to be transformed in the friend that we long to discover and the friend we long to be ourselves. In fact, when Jesus was having a conversation with his own friends, John 15, verse 15, he said, put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. You need to, you need to get this. 
What Jesus is trying to help his disciples do, he's redefining the relationship. And he's saying, if you want to understand God's activity on this planet, understand it in terms of friendship. God is a friendship. The Trinity is a friendship, three in one. You have been made in the image of God, which means you need friends. You were not created to do life alone. God, it says in the book of Genesis that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That Hebrew word that, that, that's translated walking with is the word friendship. God was a friend to Adam and Eve. He took walks with them in the garden. We too say we're walking, we're walking through life with somebody. It's language that describes friendship. And when we get to this moment in John 15 where Jesus is, is helping them understand, you're not servants. I don't just give orders to you. You're friends. I'm letting you in. I'm trusting you with information. And, and Jesus is the friend. He's the friend who sticks as close as a brother. He's the friend who loves at all times. Because what he's going to do, he's going to go to the cross and he's going to take the wounds that you should receive, he's going to take them upon himself. In fact, he is going to allow his friendship with the Father to be broken so that you can become a friend of the Father. He allows, he allows the, that relationship to be broken so that the wounds that were meant for you could come on him he, in, in this, uh, this act of the atonement. He sacrifices his own life for, for yours as, as if the Father is saying to him, you need to choose your friends. Are you going to choose these ones who are betraying you and denying you and who are running and scattered? Or are you going to choose me? Are you going to choose suffering in hell? Or are you going to choose this? And, and Jesus says, I'm going to choose suffering for the fact that, that these ones can be reconciled to you. He is the friend who took your wounds. Think about it. When, when you have a friend who betrays you, what, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? You're feeling rejection. You're feeling you know, disloyalty. You want to keep that person away because they've harmed you. What does God do when we rebelled against him, when we betrayed him? What did he do? He sent his son. While we were still sinning, while we were still living in a life of rebellion, he gave up his one and only son out of love for us. That's a true friend that's a friend who loves at all times and so when we look at a list of what it looks like to be a biblical friend what we need to understand is yes we may see some deficiencies in our own character but we have a friend that will not reject us we don't have to put all our eggs in the in the human relationship basket we need human relationships but we have a friend who loves us at all times a friend who went to the cross so that we could be reunited with our heavenly dad. And he's a good dad. And so as we think about being friends, we enjoy our friendship with the Father through Jesus Christ. And that relationship empowers and transforms us to be the friends that we long to meet and walk through life in. And just as Jesus is a gift from the Father, the reality is, is that the human relationships we have are a gift as well. C.S. Lewis, we think we have chosen our own friends, but for a Christian, there is, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies is always at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you, can also say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. At the Feast of Friendship, it is God who has spread the table, it is God who has chosen the guests.
Not only Jesus is a gift, but your friends are a gift from the Father. Worship team's gonna join me up here on the platform, and we're gonna celebrate that. We're gonna celebrate the 